0: So how many of you guys were excited about last night? Okay, it Jocelyn was excited. That was fun, wasn't it? And a lot of you guys said you were there. What, would, what did you guys think afterwards? I think the interesting thing was that people were genuinely asking questions, especially to Master Plan and to our Christian ministry. All right. Okay, Jocelyn, what did you think? She took five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a jerk. Were any of you guys a little bit scared of what might get brought up? David was. (laughs) Okay. Wasn't it good, guys, to go in there and be in a forum or in a situation where all the hard questions are being asked about our beliefs from hostile people that, that definitely want to shred Christianity? I'm sure you heard them talking about that. And being able to see good answers and being able to hear good answers. I think it was so good. Tonight we're talking a little bit about unbelief. And unbelief is a huge deal. And the reason I wanted to start off by talking about the forum last night is it's such a good illustration that our faith can be solid and that it's not just this sketchy thing. You'll probably hear on campus that if you're a Christian, you've checked your brain at the door. You're not quite as intellectual as the rest of us. That was kind of the attitude from some that were there last night, but I think it was so good to go there and see, look, if you're a Christian, you can be as intellectual as anyone. In fact, I believe if you're using your mind and if you're intellectually honest about searching, you will come to the truth that Jesus is who he said he was, right? Okay, so as we think about unbelief, I think last night was such an awesome, awesome, awesome time. Malcolm Muggeridge, you heard us quote him last night. This is a different quote, but Malcolm Muggeridge put it this way. Our 20th century far from being notable for scientific skepticism, is one of the most credulous in all history. It is not that people believe in nothing. Get this, guys. It is not that people believe in nothing, which would be bad enough, but that they believe in anything, which is really terrible. And I think this is the case. We're so used to being bombarded with TV, with news, with whatever, that we believe anything. I get emails, guys, from relatives and friends and people like that, of the most stupid things I've ever heard in my entire life. I've got this one literally about a spider that hangs out on the bottom of toilet seats, and if it bites you, it's fatal and it'll kill you. And it's spreading across America, so you've got to check your toilet seat every time you use the toilet. And I responded to the friend that sent it to me, and I said, Dude, you've got to use your brain. Don't believe anything just because it gets in your inbox. But that's what Margaret was saying there, guys. The problem isn't that people don't believe. The problem is that we believe anything. And what happens is that works in our lives, too. We, we go, oh, my professor talked about this, so I believe it. Or so-and-so thinks creationists are crazy, so evolution must be true. I believe anything, even though I haven't been shown much evidence for it. And I want to talk tonight about belief in God and, and conversely unbelief, which I think can prevent us from a lot that God has for us. So unbelief defined, what is it? It's believing and acting based on my and the world's lies instead of on God's truth and his word. It's when I take a lie, whether it's something that is just in my mind or in the world, ultimately something that came from Satan, and I believe that over God. That could be in a lot of different areas. It can take on many different forms. It can take on the form of not believing God. Does God even exist? Is he even there? That can be an aspect of unbelief. Unbelief could maybe be a second aspect of saying, okay, I believe God exists, but is His word really true? Or is it all true? I've heard students say that. Can you really believe the entire Bible? That's another type of unbelief. I think if you were there last night, you probably walked away going, wow, I think I can believe the whole Bible. Right, Malcolm? Didn't you walk away going, man, that's good stuff. Okay, we, what if we believe in God? We believe in his word, but do you really believe God's way is the best way? This is huge. I've had people struggling with different types of sin say, this is the only way I can be happy. God made you. He knows how you're wired. Do you believe that you can be most happy the way God made you and the way He said that He designed you to live? Or is your way somehow better? Because I don't think it is. But see, we can live in unbelief by believing that we can satisfy ourselves when in reality, only God can. But so often we do this, every single day. So... Unbelief is related to doubt, but it's different. How many of you guys have doubted? I've doubted, right? I've had doubts. I think I was talking to one of the secular humanists yesterday, and he said, if you ever doubted. And I said, are you kidding me? If there's a Christian alive that hasn't had to deal with doubt, I'd like to meet him, okay? Because I think we all have to deal with doubt. Now, dealing with doubt is a lot different than unbelief. I think unbelief is doubt that is dwelt on. Did you get that? It's doubt that is dwelt on. So doubt comes into your head. You recognize it. This is a doubt. Okay? Now, i got to confront that doubt. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what happens is I get this little doubt in my mind and I, I have a choice. What am I going to do with that? I have to confront it. I have to confront it with the truth and discover for myself what's really true. My brother was taking a class here about the historical Jesus and... In that class, he was hearing all this stuff that just trashed Christianity. And I told Dave, if you're going to take that class, you better be committed to really researching all those topics so you know what you stand for. He made that commitment. Okay, so every day in class, he was prepared to answer those arguments against God that his professor was bringing up. And you know what? Finally, the professor said, okay, 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 I lie in class to see if students are really paying attention. Okay, but this happens on Fort Lewis, at Fort Lewis, and it happens on campuses all across the nation. So I've got to be ready when I have a doubt to deal with it and to confront it and to research for myself, see what God really says and see what the facts really are. Hetty put it this way. Hetty and I were talking about this last week, and she said, unanswered questions lead to doubt, which leads to unbelief, which produces a lot of other really bad effects in our lives. And I think Hetty nailed the nail on the head. A doubt can be positive, guys, but it can be very negative. I'm going to talk a little bit about faith in a minute. But what happens with a doubt is when a doubt comes into your mind, you're forced. It's like a weight that's pulling your arm down. And you're forced to lift it back up. And then it pulls you down again. And then you're forced to lift it back up. And it pulls you down again. And what's happening is it's building your faith. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. Okay? So doubt can be positive if I'm willing to lift it back up. If I'm willing to research to confront that lie and to see for myself. But if I don't, it just drags me down and it kills me. And it leads to unbelief in my life where I start to doubt God as a lifestyle. And I don't believe Him, but instead I believe the lie. And that is not good. So unbelief is a big deal. What does it do in each of our lives? Unbelief causes so much, guys. The Bible tells us in James 1.6 that it destroys stability. How many of you guys think we need stability in life? I think we need it for every aspect of life. James 1.6 says, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You've seen waves on the sea just crashing back and forth, no control, no stability, they're just everywhere. And the Bible says that's really the way we are when doubt controls us, when we're doubting and when we're living in unbelief, and we're not looking at that argument and dealing with it. Does that make sense, guys? We're all over the page. Any new argument that comes to my head sways me a different way. They'd start to disagree with each other a few times. Okay. Well, if we we don't have a foundation or a standard to base ourselves on, we're going to be swayed back and forth. That's what doubt does to us, and it kills our growth, guys. It hinders our fellowship with God. It hinders our relationships with each other. It's not good. If we live in unbelief, guys, we're going to miss our life purpose. Imagine living your entire life not believing what God has called you to, and missing the purpose that you were created for. Imagine the impact that God put you on this planet for. He promises He has a plan for your life. Now imagine missing that plan because we don't believe Him. I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, Wow, I missed it. I missed why I was here. You only get one life to live. I want to live it to its fullest extent, guys. If we live in unbelief, we're going to avoid risks, and we're never going to get to experience adventure. Has that ever been true of you? Where you you have some level of unbelief and... So you don't take a step, and the result is you don't experience the adventure that makes life great. And last year, you guys were jumping out of these 30-foot aspens, Malcolm, and Emily, and a bunch of you guys. <laughs> but Malcolm and Emily started it, I think. So when you guys were doing that, you had a belief that you were going to survive, okay? You weren't living in fear going, I will die. And you ended up having a lot of fun and a lot of adventure, okay? If you would have been living in unbelief and fear, you would have missed that altogether. So I can't live in unbelief and miss the adventure that God gave us to make this life awesome. If I live in unbelief, guys, I'm going to miss seeing God work and I'm going to miss growing closer to Him. Do you want to see God work in your life? How many of you guys walked out of that meeting last night jazzed? I was so pumped up. I couldn't sleep last night. I was sitting at my house and I'm like, (laughs) Okay, let's do another one right now. It was amazing, I thought. I talked to one of the secular humanist guys today. He tells me, I went home, I couldn't sleep all night because I was just thinking. All that stuff just got me thinking and thinking and thinking. It's just amazing, guys. But when we take risks, when we step out in faith, we get to see God work. And that's exciting. And if I live in unbelief, I don't get to see God work. And that's not exciting. That's that's a total bummer. Okay, if I live in unbelief, I'm going to be trapped in sins of, get this, omission and commission. Okay? So I'm going to be trapped in sins that keep me in bondage, whether it's not doing the things God's called me to, or whether it's doing the things God told me not to do. Those things begin to trap me and keep me in bondage when I don't walk in belief, and when I walk in unbelief towards God. And practically, we lose. If we walk in unbelief, we're the ones that lose. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 10? I've come that they may have life, and might have it to the full, or might have it abundantly. We always quote that. How many of you guys have heard me or somebody else quote that. Probably all of you. Okay, we quote that a lot. That's the second part of John 10.10. Okay? You know what the first part says? It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not good. Okay, so it says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give you the most abundant life imaginable. So I want that abundant life that he promises, but what happens when I live in unbelief is I get the first one, right? I get robbed. I get lied to, and ultimately I miss the life that God has for me because I choose to live in unbelief. So at an even bigger level, so I miss out if I live in unbelief, at an even bigger level, guys, the world misses out. Other people miss out. God didn't create you to just live your life and pay your bills and die. Thank God. He created you to make an impact in other people's lives. And if I'm living in unbelief, I'm not going to have that impact that God created me for. In Romans ten thirteen through 14 it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? See, if I'm not willing to take a step of faith and share my faith, people won't hear. So they lose. So if I live in unbelief, other people around me lose. Ultimately, though, guys, God loses. You know, Jesus was prevented in work that he wanted to do by man's unbelief. You can read about it in Matthew 13. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That my unbelief can prevent God's work. It can prevent the things that he desires to do in me and in other people. And then in Matthew 6.10, Jesus asked us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that means? It means that it's not guaranteed that his will is going to happen on this earth. God didn't want Hitler to kill six million Jews. Things that were not God's will happen on this earth. And see, when I walk in unbelief, the opposite of God's will happens in my life and in the lives of people around me. So ultimately, I lose, the world loses, and God loses when I walk in unbelief. But, but here it is, guys. This, I think this will shed a little bit of light on where unbelief comes from. Because if we want to deal with it, we need to know where it comes from so that we can recognize it and kill it as soon as we see it. Ultimately, it comes from Satan. John 8:44 says that Satan is the father of lies. There's a real Satan, and he hates you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and it says that he's the father of lies. So he's constantly hitting us with lies. I'll share this briefly. You guys have heard me share about how three years ago I had these crazy headaches. Doctors thought it was a brain tumor at first. Uh, One of the scariest times in my life, and they ruled it out with a CAT scan. They said it's not a brain tumor, and then they did all these blood tests. They thought maybe it's leukemia, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. All the blood tests said it's totally good. And so the doctor finally tells me, you're as healthy as anybody in Durango. There's nothing we can do for you. We hope your headaches go away. So for the next several months, I have excruciating headaches nonstop. And in my mind, I had this mind game, right, where I'm thinking, what is this? Am I really going to die? I mean, is this really something dangerous that could kill me? And I would finally get to the point where I'd say, no, I choose to believe God. I choose to believe God. I'm not going to believe this lie. Instantly, every time, Satan would put a lie in my head. We were on a summer project in Romania. And one day, I had to go down and buy some plane tickets for our flight over to Athens. We were with a bunch of the students. I was going down with a guy named Jesse from Mesa State, and it was the first time we'd really gotten to talk, because he's from a different campus that we have a ministry at. And so we've never really talked before this point. And on our walk down... Jesse starts to tell me about how his dad had recently died of brain cancer. And I'm going, oh, this is just killing me. I'm so sorry. I was kind of in the middle of dealing with fear of this very issue. And so I kind of start prodding. I shouldn't have done this. But I said, so uh, how'd they find it? Oh, man, he had headaches like crazy every single day. And they were doing all these tests, and they all came back negative. They couldn't find anything. And so we thought he was fine. the doctor said it was just headaches. But it turns out it was this terrible kind of brain cancer, and they found out 16 hours before he died. What do you think that did to my belief? (laughs) I was trying to lead this summer project with 20 of us doing evangelism every single day, sharing our faith every single day, doing discipleship every day, and training students in that city how to continue the work. And they did. I was just there three weeks ago. I met with the students. They're still doing discipleship today. They're still sharing their faith today. Do you think maybe Satan was trying to hinder me from leading on that trip? Do you think he was trying to hinder me from effectiveness on that trip? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So he's always putting lies into our head, and I think we've all seen that. So who else do these lies come from? The world, guys. The world. First John chapter 2 tells us not to love the world, because everything in the world is passing away. The styles that are so cool today, two years from now people are going to be laughing about, right? The things in this world that we think are so attractive right now, they are passing. They're fleeting. And the world is lying to me saying, you need this. You need to do this. If you're cool, you will do this. Those are lies. I don't have to believe that. So Satan is lying to me. The world is lying to me. And get this and get this very carefully, guys. And don't forget it. My heart lies to me. I lie to myself. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How many of you heard whatever feels right, do it? How many of you guys have heard, do whatever your heart says, follow your heart, all these things, follow your gut? That sounds wonderful until you realize our hearts can do some bad stuff, guys. And I think our hearts, put in the right perspective, in line with God's word, can do great things, so don't get me wrong. But if I'm just trusting my feelings or my heart, I will end up believing lies. And I need to bring those back in line with God's truth. And then I can experience my heart the way God intended. Okay? So it's big. So the world lies to me. Satan lies to me. My heart lies to me. Fundamentally, when I don't apply God's word, I begin to live in unbelief. Now, this is huge. Okay? So I want you guys to get this carefully. James 1.22 says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, so if I listen to the word and don't apply it, what happens? Deceive yourself. Okay, right? So if I'm if I'm reading in my Bible, or if I'm hearing something like you are tonight, but I'm not applying it, I really end up deceiving myself, guys. It's so true. What do most Christians think about the people around them? Would you tend to think they want to hear about Jesus, or they don't want to hear about Jesus? What do you think most people would think? That they don't, right? And don't most Christians, and I even believe this too, think the people around me would probably get mad If I try to share my faith with them. Okay, Jesus said in Matthew 9.37, the harvest is ripe. It means that people are ready to come to him. Jesus said in, in John 12 that he is drawing all people to himself. So every human being you see, every point of every day, God is already working on their hearts and drawing them to himself. So when I believe they don't want to hear, I'm believing a lie. How do I get to the point of believing that lie though? Well, I read in the Bible that I'm supposed to share my faith. And then I don't share my faith. And then I become deceived and start believing they don't want to hear me share my faith. Does that make sense? You see the connection here? Why, why do people say they can't tithe or give 10% of their money to God? I don't have enough money, right? Isn't that why people say they can't tithe? I don't have enough money. Do you have enough money? And Philippians 4 says that my God will provide all of our needs out of our generosity. So I know that God provides. And you guys, almost five years ago now, I quit my job and have not had a secure income since then. I've never missed a bill. I've never missed a mortgage payment. God is faithful. He can provide. So it's a lie for me to believe that He can't. But what happens is when I'm not obeying Scripture and giving, I start to believe a lie that I can't afford to give. Are you guys catching this? So if I'm listening or hearing or learning God's Word, but not applying it, I will begin to deceive myself. So honestly, I think when you think about lies, you're looking at Satan as the father of lies, the world lies to me, my heart lies to me, but probably one of the most insidious forms of unbelief comes from reading my Bible and choosing not to do what it tells me to do. That's where I get trapped. And that's really a dangerous place. And I've got to destroy that unbelief right from the start. Hebrews 3.13 says that, I become hardened by sin and by the deceitfulness or the lies of sin, where it makes me hard to the point where I almost don't even care anymore. Okay, so I need to kill it. So how do I destroy it? How do I kill it? You guys have probably pulled up weeds before and realized they come back, right? They keep coming back. Until we put weed mat down at our house a couple years ago, I pulled those weeds every week. They just grew back and back and back and back. So eventually you have to destroy the weeds at the source. And that's how it is with doubt. That's how it is with unbelief. If I, if I don't destroy that unbelief, it captures me. And I'm in bondage to it. And it prevents all that God wants in my life. So how do I control it? How do I kill unbelief in my life? First, persevere through it. You guys, I'm sure all of you in here have some issue of doubt in your life right now. And that's okay. God is going to use that to strengthen you if you let Him. So you need to persevere. Okay, first of all, persevere. Next... Learn to recognize it. They say that the way they recognize counterfeit money is by becoming so familiar with real money that as soon as they see a counterfeit, they can pick it out a mile away. But we have to get familiar with God's Word first before we start to recognize what lies are. Does that make sense? If I don't know what God's Word says, there's no way in the world I'm going to recognize a lie when it comes into my mind or into my life. So I've got to get good at recognizing God's Word and learning it and applying it so that I can see those lies When they do come so i need to walk by faith in applying god's word i can't do it on my own last night if any of you guys thought ronnie rob and i had no fear going into it you're crazy obviously we had fear you know we're getting up in front of 120 people letting them ask any question they want about our faith and trying to defend it how can you prepare for that in one or two hours (laughs) okay it's impossible so you go in with a little bit of fear but you trust god and you take a step of faith now, a refresher on faith. I said a minute ago that we mentioned faith real briefly, so this is going to be quick. You can talk to me more about it if you want, but if you were here last year, you remember this. You're never going to get more faith, guys. You will never get more faith. Romans 12.3 says that God has given each one of us a measure of faith. It means He's given Angie a little bit of faith. He's given David a little bit of faith. It doesn't matter how much He gave me. If I have faith like a mustard seed, Jesus said I could move mountains. That's huge. So it doesn't matter what measure he's given me. I'm sure it's enough. He has given me only a measure. The Bible doesn't say he's going to give me more faith. So how do I get my faith to be big enough for what God wants me to do? Well, it's real simple, guys. 2 Corinthians 10.15 says our faith grows. It's like a muscle. You were born with a certain number of muscles. You aren't getting any more muscles, Ben, as muscular as you are. No more muscles are coming. The only way you get more muscular is to build the muscles that you were born with. Does that make sense? So God's given you a measure of faith. Now we build it and let it grow. In James 2.22 it says our faith can be made complete by what we do. So as I apply God's word, guys, instead of becoming deceived, as I apply his word, I'm building my faith. Do you see that? So, if I don't apply the word, I become deceived. If I do apply the word, I build and grow my faith. Is that not cool? I hope that a light goes on where we say, I want to apply God's word every day for the rest of my life. Okay, Luke 16.10 then takes it the next step. And it says, be faithful with little and God will make you faithful with more. So the way I conquer unbelief practically, guys, is I read God's word and I apply it, taking a step of faith. Building and growing the faith God's already given me, being faithful with little so that I can later be faithful with more. You start with the small weights first and then you go on to the big weights. So I don't know what your small weight is right now. Maybe it's tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We're going to meet over here in the snack bar. And we're all going to meet, we're going to pray for a while, and then we're going to go share our faith. So be there at 11, shameless plug, it'll be an awesome time. But that'll be a good step of faith. And then when we're faithful a little like that, God will help us be faithful with the next step. See, our faith is growing. Okay, so just to recap that, if I read the Word, study the Word, go to a million great church services, and listen to every good speaker in America, but don't apply it, I actually end up deceiving myself. Whereas... If I listen to the Word and apply it in my daily life, I build and grow the faith that God's already given me. I hope that sticks. Ultimately, guys, you can't conquer unbelief on your own. Pray. Pray that God would help you with your unbelief. In Mark 9, there's this story in verses 17 through 27 of a father who has a demon-possessed kid. And not only is he demon-possessed, but it's manifesting itself in physical situations also where the kid has health problems. And so the man comes to Jesus, and he says, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus goes, If you can do it? okay? Can you imagine Jesus telling you this? He's like, What do you mean, if you can do it? What do you mean, if you can do it? And then Jesus says, Everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. Now, the guy doesn't do what most Christians would do. I'm going to try and conjure up belief feelings. That's not narrow belief, okay? The guy is honest with God. And I think each of us have to be the same way. And he says, Jesus... This is so good. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Don't you want that same attitude? Come to Christ and say, look, I want to believe. But I'm struggling with this doubt. Help me overcome this unbelief. Help me take the step of faith, trusting you, and overcome this unbelief that is weighing me down. And you guys, that's why he gave us his Holy Spirit, right? To work mightily in us. You guys remember about being filled with the Spirit the A, B, C, Okay, as I'm consciously filled with the Spirit on a daily basis, He will give me the power to face down my unbelief and to walk trusting Him in belief. Okay? So, I don't have to do it on my own. If I will just believe God, guys, anything is possible. Romans 4.17 says that God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's the God we serve. He's capable of anything. He's huge, guys. I don't want to live in unbelief. I don't want to live in bondage to sin. We don't have to, right? If I live in unbelief, I'm going to live in bondage to sin. I don't want to let unbelief destroy my own walk with God, my time in the Word, my time in prayer. There's a great quote by John Harden, and he said, Those who do not believe do not pray. This is a good functional definition of faith. Faith prays, unbelief does not. Isn't that good? If I'm believing in God, I will be praying, because I know that prayer has effects, and it has power. What about evangelism? If I live in belief and not in unbelief, I realize the harvest around me is ripe and that God wants to work on the people around me. is going to be speaking next week about how much we need Jesus on this campus. And I asked Hetty, how did you get so excited about that? She said, well, I started sharing my faith. And I started realizing how everybody around me needed Jesus so desperately and wanted to hear about it. See, that's what happens when I step out in faith, that unbelief is gone. And the harvest is so ripe. Guys, anything is possible. South Korea was a Buddhist nation when our parents were born. Now it's officially, by the UN, a Christian nation. And they've had millions and millions and millions of people come to Christ. Is that possible? Anywhere in the world or just in South Korea? It's possible anywhere, guys. Our God is so big, he can do whatever it takes. Can he reach the hardest atheist? Can he? You guys think so? One of the secular humanists that was debating us last night, he's very interested in Christ, and he's thinking through this a lot. Okay? Can God reach even harder atheists? He can reach anyone. He can reach anyone. You guys, he is so good. He is so good, and he can do anything he wants. He's huge. Let's live our life trusting him to do huge things. A.W. Tozer said, Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts its trust not in the living God, but in dying man. Did you guys get that? Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts its trust not in the living God, but in dying man. God is so big. Don't, don't, don't live in unbelief. Trust Him. He's big.